Hello, and welcome to Kingsnake.com Web Radio. I'm your host, Chad Brown, and today I'm interviewing Jeff Barringer, founder of Kingsnake.com. Why? When? What made you decide to start Kingsnake.com? Where did that inspiration come from? Well, it's less uh, a question of me deciding to start Kingsnake.com and and more a question of other people deciding that I should start Kingsnake.com. Back in 1993, way, 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 way back beyond the date when some of our listeners were even born yet, I was a, a computer network engineer for Compact Computers, and this brand new thing was coming out called the Internet, and I was looking for something to do with the technology and something to do with my hobby just to play with it and learn about the Internet and, and figure out how it works and figure out what kind of things you could do with the Internet. Where is this whole Internet thing going to go? And in 1994, I launched a website with uh, the assistance of some really good friends, Joe Forks and Jerry Salmon and, and you and, and a handful of other people, called the Gray Banded King Snake webpage, the Alterna page. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was one of the very few reptile-related websites that were out there, and it was, it was really designed to be the absolute compendium of knowledge on the gray-banded kingsnake. And certainly for its time, it was, and, and at this point, it still is. It's uh, actually being run by Joe Forks right now. The gray-banded kingsnake page is still alive and kicking and still has a lot of those hardcore gray-band people going. But along those lines, in about 1995, we started fielding a lot more people coming to the site, and a lot of them were not so interested in gray-banded king snakes, as you might expect. You know, gray bands are kind of a niche animal, and so a lot of the people that enjoyed the, the Alterna page asked me if I would create something larger that encompassed everything for the reptile world, and and so I did. We launched kingsnake.com in 1996, and at that point, we turned it into a business because we had to. It was never really... When I started this, I never really intended to make it a business. It just kind of grew into one. And, of course, back then, as, as today, there was no rule book as to how you run an Internet business. So it's kind of been hit and miss, and, and try this and try that, see what works, see what doesn't, and... And so we've had a lot of fun just kind of figuring out what we could do with the technology. And, you know, 12 years later, here we are. We've, we've got what's probably the largest reptile website on the Internet. And, and it's a lot of fun. It, it's a lot of work. And despite all the rumors, I'm, I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> I, I like to refer to myself as a thousandaire, but, but this year it may be a hundredaire. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of tribulation. There have been a lot of people that have helped out, both from the outside as users and, and vendors and from the inside as volunteers. I mean, we've got right now somewhere around 120 people working on kingsnake.com and our other sites, either as, as uh, staffers, as contractors, or as volunteers. So it's so much larger than I ever imagined it would be. It's, it's kind of like spinning plates. Getting your plates spinning and keeping them all spinning at the same time is kind of problematic. And it's been a lot of fun trying to get those plates all spinning at the right time. That's, that's, 
the uh, in the life of an entrepreneur, you know. Um, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, welcome to the world of owning your own business, right? Exactly. Okay, well, you know, that's how you started Kingsnake. But well, how did you get into reptiles? Where, where, where does that passion come from? Why, why didn't you start a computer site or a camera part site? Tell me the reptile passion part of it. When I was a little kid, back in 1972, my family came down to visit my grandparents, which were up in the panhandle of Texas. And at the time, we lived in Indiana. And when I was out at my grandparents' farm, I caught a whole bunch of horned toads, which was just the neatest thing in the world. I thought horned toads were just unbelievable. They were like little dinosaurs. And, you know, in 72, I was nine years old. So we, we collected about a dozen of them, put them in a big wash tub, and drove them back to Indiana only to find out that I just violated all sorts of state laws. <laughs> and so at nine years old, I was already uh, in trouble with the reptile law enforcement people. But um, that really got it started for me. And then, you know, it kind of sat there uh, in the back of my mind for a long time. And then one afternoon when I was in, in college, I was over at my parents' house watching a football game on the back porch. And I saw a huge lizard on my parents' back porch. So I went out and I caught it, and it was an alligator lizard. So I box this alligator lizard up, and I bring it into the house, and I said, well, what can I do to feed this thing? There was no Internet at the time. Finding out information like that meant I had to call people. I had to know people, and I didn't know any reptile people at that time. So I called the local pet shop, and they said, oh, it eats crickets. Come on down. We'll sell you some crickets. So I went down, and I bought some crickets, and I also bought a boa constrictor. So the next thing I know, I'm starting to hook up with all the local reptile people, and I'm starting to go out in the field and connect with reptile people out there and collect reptiles in the field and, and learn about the reptile history of Texas, as it were. And one thing led to another, and I became a really big gray band person. And then the gray band thing kind of turned into the alternate page, which turned into King Snake, which brings us right here. Okay, so with all your king snake duties do you still work with the animals you still hands-on do you breed do you keep do you collect anymore i don't breed i figure at this point there's enough people making baby reptiles out there on my website that i don't really need to go out and do it i do keep i currently have three sulcata tortoises that run around my backyard eating up my grass and keeping it nice and short but they're all males uh, I specifically got males so I wouldn't have to deal with having babies and hatchlings and things like that. Smart. Uh, and so I do work with those, and occasionally I still make it out into the field. I didn't make it out last year or the year before, but the year before that I did, and I'm planning on doing quite a bit of field work in, in 09, even though the reptile laws have really changed in Texas. That is really, really unfortunate. You know, I've been waiting... <laughs> for my son to be old enough to really enjoy a trip down to South Texas and, you know, looking for the gray band and the uh, lepidus, the, you know, the rock rattlesnakes and the Texas banded geckos. And those are, it's a fantastic reptile experience. Um, and, you know, separate from that, it'd be just a good time to be in the, hanging out with, with my son, you know, in the car in Texas. And those laws have really kind of put a damper into it. I'll let you, you know, kind of expand on those laws. I'm sure you're much more familiar than I am. You can still hunt reptiles in Texas, but got to have access to private land. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they've closed the, the door on collecting from the roads, 
collecting on the sides of the road, so you can't walk back and forth along the roadways and, and pick up reptiles off the rock cuts, which was, you know, the customary way of collecting in this state. And it's unfortunate because, frankly, it's gone quite a ways to killing the hobby, as it were, or sport. Collecting reptiles is, is not like hunting deer. It's more like bass fishing. And basically, it's put the brakes on that here in Texas. The proliferation of laws, which, you know, makes collecting difficult. I think it's a really unfortunate thing for a hobby. Um, you know, I grew up in California. You know, there were garter snakes and frogs and alligator lizards and scalopper lizards, fence lizards, all around my, you know, my parents' house. We didn't live in the country by any means. Um, so my first experience, reptile experiences, were, you know, in my backyard or in, in you know in the hills or the meadows behind you know my school or something like that and I, I think it gives you a much different appreciation and a much different experience where if you when your first reptile experience is in a pet store or in you know at a, at a reptile show I still think you can you know still enjoy the animals but it, it somehow it starts you off I don't want to say on the wrong foot, but I don't think it gives you the same experience to someone who's experienced the animals in the wild and had the the awe and appreciation that you and I had, you know, sitting there on your parents' back porch or in my backyard, you know, blown away by this animal, as opposed to something that's in a very captive, corporate type of setting like a pet store or, or a reptile show. I'd rather have my nephews and nieces have their first reptile experience with a gray band on a rock cut. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. And I, I think it's really unfortunate, you know, that they won't have that same type of experience that, uh, that we had. Well, unfortunately, I think that with the state of laws today in terms of collecting, we're going to be trending more towards that, and we're going to see less people getting out in the field and more people learning and getting their reptile experiences from the Delhi Cup, which is, is just a tremendously unfortunate happenstance uh, uh, nothing, there's nothing wrong with snakes and deli cups, but I think it's going to be horrible for the kids today coming up. You know, they get into school, they want to take classes on on reptiles when they get into college, and, and these college professors are, are actually coming back and saying, these guys are great, but all their reptile experiences are coming with pet reptiles. They don't have any experience with animals in the field, and it's really making it tough to, to pursue a, a reptile-based education that way. Now, to be fair, um, to take things time back 15 or 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, a majority of the reptiles available were wild-caught. That is correct. So there is a give and a take here. You know, they, these folks who are entering the hobby now, they have a much uh, less steep hill to climb from a husbandry, from a captive husbandry, captive breeding perspective, because, you know, the work has been done by, you know, the, over the last 10, 15 years, the pioneers who have really established these animals in captivity and worked out these formulas. So I wouldn't want to go backwards to, to that, but I would still love to be able to go backwards for that wild reptile collecting experience that folks your age, and, you know, I'm, I was born in 1970, so I'm, you know, five or six years younger than you, uh, folks my age have, have had had the chance to experience, you know, that my son, who's now nine, unfortunately probably won't get that chance. Yeah, so, okay, well, so Bill Gates calls you up and says, Jeff, I'm going to give you $50 million for, for kingsnake.com and all the rest of the sites you host. What snake are you keeping? What reptile are you keeping? And with now all your time is free and you have money to do any reptile you want to do, what are you doing? 
this is going to sound strange. I'd be doing Mexican milk snakes. That does sound strange. <laughs> I'd be doing Mexican milk snakes because, quite frankly, they're they're my favorite snake. Uh, mm-hmm. They really always have been. I love gray bands. Don't get me wrong, but there's nothing like seeing a four foot long candy cane in the middle of the road in the middle of the night after hunting all night and not seeing anything else. And just that whole experience with with Mexican milk snakes is uh, something that I really, really, really enjoy. And Mexican milk snakes seem to be much more personable than most of the other milk snakes that are out there. Okay. Um, uh, The other milk snakes just really seem to be snakes to me, but Mexican milk snakes have a personality. And I I don't know how to explain it or impart that, but they, they just have a different aura to them. There's no money in it. Absolutely no money in it. Well, you, you um, got it, your fifty million from Bill Gates, so you don't need any money. You're not trying yeah, to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, if Bill Gates wants to offer me fifty million dollars, I'll give him my phone number. <laughs> but um, I don't, I don't foresee that happening anytime in the near future. But I do foresee me getting a few Mexican milk snakes here in the. Now, forgive me, my, my my West Texas snake knowledge is, has escaped me over the years since I haven't been down there and taken a trip. Mexican milk, so the annulata or they, are they the selenops? They're the annulata. Okay, the selenops the, are the New Mexican milk, and they occur more towards the western portion of the state. Okay, you know I've seen both of those down in you know the. On the, either in the bend area or on the way down to the bend, you know, never actually caught my own selenops, but I see other people do it, and that was, uh, you know, they were certainly excited, and when I caught my own, my first annulata, I was about to do backflips off the top of the car, I was so excited, you know. Yeah. <laughs> For folks who haven't done the, the, the road trip, and or the collecting, you know, uh, I think us talking about how exciting it is to, you know, because on one hand, it's a $35 pet store snake, but on the other hand, this is a beautiful milk snake out in this wild environment and it's, it's a difficult. priceless experience yeah it is a priceless experience it's difficult for folks who haven't experienced that to truly understand it you know because if you're coming from a business perspective it's a 35 dollars snake what does that mean no it's 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 a priceless experience is what it is and hopefully folks will get a chance to go out there and and, and do some of that and, and understand a little bit better what what we're talking about all right so let's uh let's move on here um if I sell you some Mexican milk snakes, mm-hmm. can I get some free kinksnake.com t-shirts out of that? How does, how does one get the, the kinksnake.com t-shirt? Well, currently, we only do the kinksnake.com t-shirts at trade shows that we sponsor and attend. So if you really want a kinksnake.com t-shirt, you got to go to one of those shows. And right now, those shows are the National Reptile Breeders Expo in Daytona, the NARBC shows in Chicago, in Anaheim, and we may we may have some T-shirts available at the um, at Reptile Expo in Los Angeles in January. We're not sure if we'll get them done in time. Okay, all right. So that's your last your list of shows you guys will be attending. That's awesome. Yep. Um, you know, uh, for those folks who are listening to the show and haven't gone to a reptile show. Uh, I highly recommend it. You know, if you have a an inkling of a passion for the hobby, to go and be in a large conference room or large event center with 200 or 300 or 3,000 or 5,000 other folks who share the same passion as you, it's a it's a great experience. You'll come out a more informed, 
more educated reptile keeper because of attending the show. You'll get a chance to see some of the, you know, superstars of the reptile world, whether it's a Jeff Berenger or a Pete Call or a Brian Barcheck or a Rich Eiley or any of these other folks or even a Tracy Barker, you know, to sit there and see these folks and be able to pick their minds about these animals that they've worked with for the last 20 years is a invaluable experience. I can more highly recommend attending the show. It's a fantastic experience and it's almost a mandatory thing if you're going to be doing reptiles in a serious way just because of the amount of knowledge that is in the room that you can gain just by walking through that room. So if there's a show in your area, I definitely recommend you, you attend it. Now, shows are a little different than swaps. Kind of the reptile swap meets, that's kind of a, a selling kind of deal. A lot of these shows are, obviously animals are for sale, but there's a lot of education and programs and nightly talks that go on, like at the expo down in Daytona. Tracy Barker did an excellent blood python talk down there, and Kara from Nerd was there. So, again, I highly recommend the shows. And there are other events as well that aren't reptile expos per se where you can buy animals but are purely for learning that are wonderful, like the International Herp Symposium, which is uh, an annual event. It's held every year in a different city. It's sponsored generally by a major zoo, and it's sponsored by vendors in the reptile hobby and reptile industry as well. Next year's IHS is really going to be special because it's all the way down in Monterey, Mexico. And I will be there. If you, if you ever wanted a chance to go out and see Mexican herptofauna in the wild, it is going to be the experience of a lifetime. I will be there. And, you know, all those folks out there listening in uh, web radio land, if you can't make that one, I definitely recommend some type of show to get you tied into the hobby and get you really enjoying and understanding your animals on a completely deeper level. All right. Um, being in the business for a while and knowing other folks who are in the business, people love King Snake, mm-hmm. but you know there's a thin line between love and hate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you started a program about a year ago, maybe a little longer than that, the Registered Business Program. Oh, yeah. So if you could talk about that and why you went with that program and why the program is so strict, I think that could help alleviate some of this, uh, I call it haterade, folks out there drinking haterade against Kingsnake. The Registered Business Program is something that we implemented probably 18 months or so ago. One of the biggest issues that we've always had on our website was fraud. Fraud, theft, disreputable reptile breeders, things of that nature. And we've always looked for ways to identify fraud artists and keep them off of the website. And we waited. We actually came up with the program about six years ago. But we had to wait until there were enough governmental agencies publishing data online to implement it. But what the registered business program is, is that if you want to come to kingsnake.com and you want to advertise your products or your services or your animals online, and if you want to do it using a business name, we have to verify that you've legally registered that business in whatever state that you're in. Almost every state in the United States has a law where it requires people operating under an assumed name to register that assumed name, that assumed business name, with their local county courthouse. We looked at that, and we looked at what was happening on our classifieds, and whenever we would find somebody who was a fraud artist and we'd boot them off, they'd go out and they'd get another Yahoo or Hotmail email address, They'd change their business name and they'd use their girlfriend's credit card and they'd be right back on the website. And so by putting a verif- 
verify that a business actually exists before we allow you to post ads. It has taken a lot of that fraud and theft completely away from our system. Ten years ago, five years ago, we had a lot of complaints about fraud and theft. Now we're down to less than one complaint a month. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Now, when we first implemented the program, there were a lot of people that didn't understand why we were doing it and why we were being such hard asses about it. But, you know, the results speak for themselves. In the end, almost everybody that's a participant in the system is happy to be a participant in the system because it gives them legitimacy by saying, I'm not only a reptile breeder, I'm a registered business with kingsnake.com. That means that they've gone out and seen that I'm actually a business, I'm not fly by night, and I'm not going to disappear next week with your money. And that really, really has provided a lot of depth. We had to wait until enough government agencies had their DBA information online to make it easier for our users to submit their stuff. But once we started doing it, other companies much larger than us, like Network Solutions, the largest domain, one of the largest domain registrars in the world, implemented almost the exact same program. So it's pretty interesting to see us as a little company coming up with these policies and procedures and then seeing the super huge conglomerate follow our lead. Well, you know, somebody's got to be the trendsetter. Exactly. <laughs> but long story short, yes, there are a lot of people that aren't happy with it. There are more people that are happy with it. In the long run, it did a world of good to cut down on the fraud and theft on our website. And that was the bottom line. That was the main reason for doing it. And, you know, it's cost us a lot of money, not only in implementing the system and paying for the people to run the system and moderate the system, but in turning down people, because we customarily turn down three to five businesses a week. So, you know, I'm handing out a lot of refunds over here to people that just don't cut the mustard with it. You know, from my I know from your perspective, it's worked out well on your end. From my perspective, it's a great thing because, you know, all a business person wants or, you know, even take it further than that, all a competitor wants, someone who's, you know, willing to compete is a level playing field. You know, I run a legitimate business. You know, I pay taxes. I have, you know, a physical business, business address. And to compete with somebody who's essentially a con artist, you know, they can obviously throw any price they want up there because... They're going to burn that customer in some way or another. So this makes a much uh, more level playing field, and it makes the you know it makes the competition real. And, and you know I'm not competing with somebody who's out, out to defraud people. So I, I feel as if it protects my best interest as well, and then it protects the hobby as well. If the hobby is burned out from slicksters and hucksters and shady sand reptile breeders, then, you know, that's the kind of hobby we're going to have. But if we police ourselves and eliminate those folks from the hobby or from posting ads and, and, and conning people or, or stealing people's money, and then the healthier their hobby can be. And that's what we really, I think that's what we all want. There's always going to be a certain group out there of people that didn't make the cut or aren't happy with the process or the procedure. And I'm sorry, <laughs> but, you know, we got to do what we got to do. We got to protect the users as much as we protect the vendors. The plus is that everybody goes through the process. And and when I say everybody, you and I are friends. We've been friends a long time. Yes, correct. But man, did I make you guys jump through some hoops or what? <laughs> you guys jumped through 
a lot more hoops than a lot of other people because you have more than one business. Yeah, and, you know, we definitely, uh, you know, I'll put it publicly out there, we asked Jeff for special favors, and Jeff doesn't give special favors. So, again, as a competitor, I know that you are fair. I know that someone else asking for a special favor is not going to get it. And that lets me know, you know, that this, you know, that this, <laughs> you're the real deal. Some things I can give a special favor to on once in a while, but when it comes to security on the website, there's nobody that rates a special favor. Oh, I, I, I can, I can uh, agree with that because I have experienced the lack of special favors personally. <laughs> now, you know, I would say, gosh, overwhelming, 95% of the people who do business on Kingsnake or visit Kingsnake are happy with their experience. But these few folks who, for some reason, are unhappy, I've heard they send some emails out and they get no reply, and what's up with that? Jeff doesn't care about the customers. You know, can, you, can you answer that? Can you get into that? Why they don't get replies to some of their emails? Sure. Well, one of the issues that we've got out there now is that when we started this, emails would go from point A to point B without much difficulty. You could send an email, it was going to get there. In the 12 years that have occurred, we've had the rise bam, the, the guys that go out and send up thousands of emails. Because of that, internet providers like my local internet provider and your local internet provider, and AOL and whoever you use, Time Warner, Roadrunner, Comcast, they've implemented things called spam filters. Quite often, especially with automated email, we have problems with email going from our systems to the customers or coming from the customers to us. And so quite often, a lot of those complaints about uh, they never responded to my email is we simply didn't get the email. There's a very small subset of people that don't get responses to their emails, and they don't get the responses to their emails because, quite frankly, it would cause more problems for the staff to respond to an email than the email would justify. If we ban somebody, and we ban them, and we ban them, and we ban them, and they send us an email wanting to know why we're not replying to their email, it doesn't really make sense for my staff to go out and reply to that person. Generally, we've already made our statement that they're gone and we're not going to be able to perform services for them. So they've gotten that information at least once. So there's a small subset of people that we're just not going to reply to. The majority of people that don't get emails back is primarily due to the technology. Spam filters either on its way to us or spam filters on its way to them. Surprisingly, a number of people complain to us that we never replied when I can go back in my email logs or my staff member can go back in their email logs and show me that we sent six replies to the guy, but AOL blocked them or Yahoo blocked them. And so the one thing I can say is make sure that your spam filter has kingsnake.com whitelisted and you should get your email. And make sure it's got pet hobbyist whitelisted as well because a lot of our infrastructure is based on the pet hobbyist system. Okay, you know, obviously, we, you know, we get here at Pro Exotics get between 300 and 600 emails a day, and it's amazing how some emails get filtered, some don't, some emails we send out get filtered, and some don't, and we, you know, I hear the same complaints from us about us, at Pro Exotics-wise, and, or the person who sends you an email, but somehow doesn't include their rest of their information, or sends you an email with 45 questions on it, and it's like, you know, there's a book available on, 
all right. that subjects you're looking for. I, I, I can't really put that in the email. I can't answer all 45 of your questions when my inbox still has 400 left to go. Right. So I completely understand it. I just thought I would throw it out there for the folks who, you know, have experienced such a thing with King Snake. Right. And there are people that, that, that send me email, and they'll send me like four paragraphs, and, and they'll get a one-sentence reply, and they send me an email back saying, that was a pretty terse reply, and, and it wasn't that I was trying to be terse, it was that I get, personally, I get two to three hundred emails a day. If I spent a minute just answering each email that I got every day, I would be there from sun up to sun down just answering emails and not doing all the stuff I need to do to keep the business going, interfacing with our staff, making sure new products get it to market, things like that. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate part of the biz, and, you know, email is a is a great thing, um, but sometimes it is an overwhelming burden when your inbox is stuffed and, you know, your wife is calling you home for dinner. Yeah. <laughs>